0: Hello there, how is it going? Thank you so much for tuning into the Parenting Junkie Show. In this episode, I'm busting some myths, you guys, boom, I'm busting myths about parenting that I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing so that you can be liberated from this unrealistic, insidious and frankly depressing expectations that have become the norm for parents. And I hope you stick with me until the end because the last one is my favorite flip Of them all. You're listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hi. I'm Avital, if you're just meeting me for the first time. Hello, I'm a mindful parenting coach. I'm the mother of four. I am British, Israeli, and now living in the USA on the East Coast. So if you are confused about my accent, I hope that helps to clear it up. But most importantly, I'm here to help you. I'm here to test out lots of different ideas, do a lot of research, read a lot of books, figure out this whole parenting, marriage, family life, gig, and flow for myself and then hopefully distill all of that information into bite-sized, actionable pieces of inspo action and inspo education, inspirational, educational pieces that can help you make those applications to your family life. Because my whole goal and the whole purpose of my business, The Parenting Junkie, what my team and I are busy doing, is empowering you, intentional, but imperfect parents. We're all imperfect, so that's me too. But we're intentional. In other words, we're showing up and we're trying. We want to do this right, if there is such a thing as right. Hint, hint, one of the myths I'm gonna bust. Stick with me for that. But yeah, basically, that's my goal here. My goal is to empower you with tools, with ideas, with action plans and blueprints so that you can reclaim presence, peace and play. Those are our core values at The Parenting Junkie. And you can escape a lot of the chaos and the conflict and the clutter that comes into our lives as parents. Hey guys, I'm just gonna pause this episode very briefly to announce our winner this week. Our winner this week is B Bracey. And B Bracey, you left me an awesome iTunes review. Thank you so much. And you have won my course, Potty Time. Potty Time is going to make early potty training really simplified and straightforward. Plus, it has a bonus on EC, elimination communication. So that's kind of interesting as well be bracy. I hope that that's going to be helpful for you. And here's what you wrote with your five shiny stars. You wrote a voice of support for parents figuring out this journey. Avital has a passion for parenting from love that can be felt in every message I've ever heard from her. And now in this podcast, she has found what works well for her as a parent after studying so many methodologies and helps other parents to find what really works for us and empowers us to parent from love. She knows how to share her vulnerable moments in a way that can support and inspire others to keep doing our best, and try again when we fall short of our own expectations and intentions. Thank you for this podcast and all of your work of Vital. And she left a bunch of hearts. And B Bracey, can I just say, I'm so thrilled that you've won because I loved this review. We actually picked the reviews randomly So it's not based on what you've written, but I happen to really love what this uh, review was built up of because I really felt that you hit the nail on the head with regards to what I'm trying to do and what my work is trying uh, to put out into the world and understanding that it's about falling short of our own expectations and intentions rather than others' expectations and intentions of us. So I appreciated that little, you know, precision there as well. So thank you so very much. Be bracy. Email us, support at The Parenting Junkie. We'll set you up with your prize of potty time course. And now, back to the episode. Okay, so let's talk about what society tells us, okay? And when I say society, here's what I mean. I mean culture. I mean our parents, our neighbors, our churches, mosques, synagogues, all religious institutions. I mean the schools and the educational systems and the governments and institutions and magazines and movies and the internet and all the different inputs that we get, right? We get a lot of different inputs and judgments and ideas and prescriptions and directives on how we should raise our children, how we should live our lives, and what certain things mean. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. Take the example of having a baby, giving birth, the actual situation of labor itself, and take a look at how very different that event is perceived to be in different cultures, and how different it's been perceived to be across History. Okay, if you just kind of imagine for a moment, span out in your mind and have a lot of images flood to you on what it might look like in certain parts of the world, maybe in Asia, in Africa, in North, Northern Europe or Southern Europe, and the East and the West, in America, in South America, in North America, in, in all different areas in the Mediterranean. And just have these images flood your mind of what your perception is, of what their perception is of birth and labor, right? And then kind of have different periods of history just flood your mind, okay? Imagine what labor might have meant to the Romans or to the Tudors, right? Or to the ancient uh Egyptians or maybe to cavemen, okay? And I hope you're flooded with lots of very different images of what labor and delivery means, what it should look like, how a woman should be treated. Is it perceived to be painful? Is it perceived to be sacred? Is it perceived to be disgusting and shameful and taboo? Is it perceived to be dangerous, is it perceived to be completely normal, run of the mill? Is it perceived to be a woman's thing or something where that her male partner should be there too? Is it perceived to be very medical or very natural? Is it perceived to be something that should be done in private or in a group setting with the whole community supporting her? All of these different things are, um, are the variables with which humans treat this event. Okay, so cultures and histories, uh, I mean periods in history, vary greatly in their approach to birth and labor as they vary greatly in their approach to absolutely everything. What we're sometimes not aware of is how much that influences us, how much a cultural dictate a norm and expectation really dictates everything that we think about that particular event. Okay, so take birth as an example. It's a good example for me personally, because although I have zero PhD on the history of birth and all of the things I just spoke about, I don't actually know how the ancient Egyptians treated birth. I think that would be very interesting to find out, but I don't actually know. But I have some preconceived notions about what that might have been. But I know what birth uh, meant to me in my culture growing up, what messages I received about it. One message was that it was painful, um, that it was typically long, that it should be done in a medical setting in a hospital, that you needed a doctor or it was dangerous. Um, You know, that it should be done in private, but there should be medical staff there, that a husband should be there, but other family members probably should not. Now, all of these things probably were a little bit similar and a little bit different from what you thought about birth before you gave birth, if you've given birth, um, or just before. And that's because you grew up in a slightly different culture than me. You grew up with different parents, in a different home, on a different street. You watched different movies. You read different books. But we also had some overlap. And so we've been influenced by some of the same things, right? And some of them are just so pervasive and so strong. Some of the stories are so strong that we've kind of all been indoctrinated by them by now, right? So we've all seen some movies of a woman screaming in labor as her, you know, waters break in the supermarket and she gets rushed to the ambulance and then she suddenly, you know, uh, she probably curses at her husband somewhere along the way. You did this to me. And then there's some emergency and the doctor grabs the forceps and here we go. The baby is delivered and then everyone's happy and gone. that That's something that we've probably seen in a movie at some point, right? You and I, we've probably seen that. So we have that story about labor in our head, right? And then we have opposite stories. Maybe, like me, you've seen some vloggers on YouTube who have shown their entire home birth, uh, you know, water birth, maybe unassisted birth, uh, where it was pain-free and they had no medication and maybe they didn't even have any assistance whatsoever and they just pushed their baby out and it was 100% natural. And then hearing a story like that suddenly calls into question many of the things that we had already seen as obvious, right? Like the story that you need a doctor to give birth suddenly might be called into question. Maybe you don't. Maybe that's not necessary. Maybe that's even harmful. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that that story gets called into question when we then are exposed to new examples, new paradigms, new stories of how that particular event can go down. So I think it's very beneficial to expose ourselves to new stories. I think that our whole life is pretty much a set of stories that we tell ourselves. And the quality of our life is dictated by the quality of the story. The ability or disability to perform the way we want to, to live the way we want to, to feel the way we want to, I think is mostly influenced by the stories in our mind, by our thoughts. This might feel radical or not to you, depending on where you are on your journey. But to me, mindset is pretty much where it's at. I think what we live in our minds, the the feelings and thoughts that go through our minds and through our bodies, pretty much dictate the quality of our life. I think it has very little to do with external factors. It doesn't have much to do with what we look like or what we own or where we live or how much money we make, how many children we have. Even our health, all of those things definitely have some influence, maybe a lot of influence. But what truly has the influence is what we think about those things. What we think about ourselves and about our lives is what truly makes the difference to our quality of life. And that's why myth busting is important. That's why exposing ourselves to new narratives is important. And that's what I would like to do here today. The, the myths I'm going to list here are just ones that have come to me because I see my clients, members of my community, people around me and myself hearing these stories and believing them. And I want to just offer an alternative script. I want to offer the idea that maybe that's not true. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But myth busting is about really exposing ourselves, opening our minds to a, a possible a possible alternative narrative that might serve us better. And the truth sometimes doesn't matter as much as which truth we choose to believe. Maybe both truths could be true depending on the one that you choose, depending on the one that you make true in your life, okay? So without further ado, number one is the myth of parental control. This myth states that your child's behavior How they turn out, okay, how they behave, how they show up in the world, what kind of adults they end up being is a direct reflection of your parenting. In other words, the idea that you are responsible for your children, that you are responsible for who they are and how they behave and what they like and what they don't like, their beliefs, their values, their personality, all of that is a direct result of what you've done or have not done to them and for them. Now, I certainly think that nurture matters. I certainly think that parenting matters or we probably wouldn't be here because my whole career is devoted to figuring out parenting. But I don't believe that it matters as much as we think. And I don't believe that it matters in the way that we think. I don't believe that we are creating adults. I don't believe that we are creating people. And I believe that we have a lot less influence and far less control than any of us believe we do. I think that the only thing that we control, and even this we can't always control, is ourselves, our behavior, how we show up. We can have quite a large degree of control over our thoughts and therefore our feelings and therefore our behaviors. We can work a lot on our mindset and on the choices that we make, that that we can do, but we have very little control over our children um, and almost zero control over how they turn out. I mean, look, we just don't really know. I read a lot of parenting books. I read a lot of research. I do a lot of thinking on these topics. But there are still so many question marks about, well, how do you raise, you know, a resilient, happy, healthy, productive member of society? How do you raise someone who's successful and all of the things that we want? We don't know. We don't really know because there are so many factors that go into that. And it's even more extreme than we don't know. Yes, it's true. We don't know. But even if we did know, even if there was some formula, that's not the point. That's not the goal. We're not factory workers producing, you know, a machine working on this factory line and just hoping we're not working on a lemon, that we don't have a defect, you know, product because people aren't products. People are living organisms. They have autonomy and they have sovereignty, and they are their own unique individuals with their own stories. And they're they're really magical and mystical. And we can understand human psychology till the cows come home, but there will always be this piece of people and how they live their lives and how they quote unquote turn out that we don't really know. And it's almost like having any kind of emphasis on creating an adult, creating a certain type of person, although we can sometimes have those conversations, typically those conversations and any kind of emphasis on that is going to be missing the point. It's gonna take us out of the present moment. It's gonna take us out of our own self-growth and our own focus on our inner work and becoming an adult ourselves, right? And it's going to create a manipulative controlling behavior in us. We're going to be very kind of, you know, hoarding our children. Only I can do it. And it's my responsibility. And then we're going to create also a culture of shame and blame, which is what happens. I see it in a big way in our culture. I want to give you an example of that, which is that a few years ago, a woman had a child. I don't know any of the details. I just remember this story reading that a woman had a child in a zoo. And we can debate the ethics of zoos separately. But she was in a zoo and the child was a four-year-old child and he ran away. He, you know, escaped her hand for a moment and scaled this four-foot wall into a gorilla's cage. Did you read about this? So the child escaped his mother's hand and ran off and literally climbed into the gorilla's cage. And the gorilla was a little agitated that the child was there and people were nervous and screaming and they were scared for the child's safety and they ended up shooting the gorilla. A zookeeper shot the gorilla and the gorilla died. So it was very tragic to have lost the gorilla in that situation. But what I was really dumbfounded by was the blame that people felt was necessary to quickly, quickly, quickly quickly, um, point a finger at this mother point a finger at this mother and say, you're to blame. You didn't control your child. Your child's behavior is a direct reflection of your poor parenting. And I thought that that was such a deep misunderstanding uh, of human development, of human life, of human relationships, of our role as parents, but also so misguided in the type of community I think we all want to create. First of all, I think blame is very rarely helpful. And of course, she has some responsibility in this, but also, he's a four-year-old kid, and kids do run away, and kids are curious. And if you create a cage with a big animal in it that a child can climb into, um, that that's also a huge responsibility, right? We need to look at that as well. But mostly the point that you should control your children is this idea that you're to blame if anything goes wrong. And... The thing there is that that gags us, that ties our hands because life includes risk. Any life worth living includes risk. If we can't take our kids to the zoo, again, we can debate that separately, but if we can't take our kids to you know, a children's museum, <laughs> let's say, or if we can't take our kids in the car, or if we can't you know, send our kids to school, all the different things that are normal in our society because there is risk involved, Um, And then if anything does go wrong in a worst case scenario, we are to blame, then we simply can't live life. We can't raise children. And so, no, we're not in control. You know, yes, we we are accountable for many things and we need to be accountable to our children, but we are not responsible for them. There are many other factors that factor into that. And no, we need society. We need culture. We need neighbors, mothers, grandparents, everyone pulling together to raise children. We need to all be pointing in the same direction and helping each other out and not saying, well, that mother is responsible for that child and I'm not. No, you are too. Were you a bystander in the zoo? Were you an architect who designed that zoo? You know, were you someone who could have lent a helping hand or could have noticed? It's not just a mother. Mothers mothers cannot raise children by themselves. It's not possible. It's not natural. It's not what we were supposed to do. Okay, this is taking way too long for one point, but I I have a lot more to say about this. So let me know if you'd like a whole episode just about the fact that we are not in control. And the idea is that we need to relinquish control and how to do that and what it means to be accountable to our children, but not responsible for them. And of course we can get into the legal ramifications of this, which is you know, sometimes horrific, parents getting arrested for letting their kids walk to school, that type of thing. But the point here is we need to be able to take risks. We need to be able to evaluate situations and allow our children to live, to live uh, not by controlling them. Okay, number two, a myth, okay? That there is one right way to parent. So I touched on this in the first episode, and in the first uh, point that I made here, and it's a very dangerous way of living to think that there's one right way of doing anything. When you start to zoom out and realize, right, all of the different cultures and all of the different human experiences, you start to respect that there are many right ways of doing things. There are many great ways, but there are no perfect ways, right? the idea that you should be a stay-at-home mom or you should babywear, or you should co-sleep or you should homeschool or you should send to school or you should, uh, you know, feed organic food or all of the different things that you should or should not do, you should know that there is another culture that says you should do the polar opposite and they are also raising happy and healthy children. Sure, there are some behaviors that really, I think, we've got enough evidence to say, no, we should not be doing that. Like I'm very comfortable coming out and say, no one should be spanking their children. But the point is that people are complex, very complex. And there is such a simplification of good and bad. Every time Harvard comes out with a new review that this is bad and this is good. And every time there's a new piece of research We cling to it as though it's now, you know, manna from heaven, and we don't realize that everything is contextual. There isn't one right way because it depends on your context. Is homeschooling good? Well, that depends. The answer is pretty much always going to be that depends. Is co-sleeping good? That depends. Is baby led weaning good? That depends. All of the practices that I make videos about and that I read about, they could be good, they could be great, in many cases they are, and maybe for most people they are, but people are complicated. And if it's not good for you in your situation, then it's not good, full stop. It doesn't matter that you read a piece of research that says that doing X, Y, Z, that doing timeouts, okay? Let's take timeouts as an example. I don't think timeouts are, are good, okay? If I have to categorically decide are timeouts good, no, they're not the best practice. They're not my favorite. I think there's enough research against them. And I'm, I think that they're manipulative and punitive and that they don't really help children learn a good lesson. But are there situations in my home where a timeout is good? Yes, there are contexts where that would be good. Yeah, like for example, if I'm losing my cool and I'm so angry and raging that I'm going to hit my child, then a timeout is really good. A timeout is better. I think, than me hitting my child, right? I I think so. And I think that's a realistic situation. For me, it is. I've certainly got to angry points where I want to hit my child. It is better for me to grab them, put them in a room and say, you must stay there. I'm too angry. I need a timeout for you, right? I, I think that's better. So that's contextual. So categorically, you know, saying something that might lead to shame or blame or feeling like there's only one right way, like timeouts are bad, is not so helpful. Now, do I do that? Yes, I come out and say what behaviors I think are good and what behaviors I think are bad, but I have to ask everyone who's hearing this or any other piece of advice, piece of research, to always consider context, to always understand that it matters very much what culture you're in, what the alternatives are, what the hidden price is, You know, I have a video about global parenting, which I invite you to watch, and it talks about how different cultures do things so differently, and what a joy it is to live in this day and age where we can learn from that. And we can normalize certain things that we do. So don't uh, idealize yourself, and don't demonize anyone else and vice versa, because everyone is trying to be good parents. And yeah, we can debate, we can decide, okay, we are going to try and do things peacefully, and we are going to try and do things gently and respectfully. But that doesn't mean that that's always available. It doesn't mean it's always the good thing. It's like some people say to me, you think unschooling is good. So am I, you know, now I feel guilty and bad because I'm sending my kids to school because I have to work. Well, no, if you have a job outside the home and you don't have my lifestyle and the way that I do things, then that's good. That is good. That is a good choice for your family, right? Everybody has to make a good choice for your family. So I want you to always be asking yourself, rather than there's only one right way, rather than saying, I read the research and this is what needs to be done, say, okay, that research is interesting. That is inspiring. Now, what is the right way in my situation for my family? With our context, with our budget, with our lifestyle, with our values, dreams, goals, aspirations, skills, health, all of that, it matters. It matters greatly. Context is king. Okay, number three, harder is better. This is a myth across our culture. Across our culture is always the expectation that harder means better. And with parenting, there's almost this unspoken competition that whoever's parenting harder is doing it better. Whoever is more tired, whoever is more exhausted, whoever is more busy, whoever is more um, at the end of their rope is doing it better. Don't give in to that story. Harder is very rarely better in almost any case. More efficient might be better, more authentic might be better, more productive may be better, maybe challenging is good in some cases, like going to the gym, challenging is good. In parenting, harder doesn't equal better. Taking the route of least resistance, taking the route that feels good to the family, that lowers the stress, that reduces the busyness, that actually calms things down, in my opinion, is better. I think that the story that if you're anxious, sad, frustrated, that you mustn't care for yourself, that if you're burning out, that if you don't sleep at night, that if you haven't had time to go to the gym or to see your friends or to take care of yourself, all of that, then you are such a good mom because you sacrificed yourself. Yay! You sacrificed yourself. You win. That is a dangerous story indeed. That is dangerous for our children to grow up thinking that – The more tired we are, the more we sacrifice them, the more we love, the the more we sacrifice for them, excuse me, the more we love them. If sacrifice equals love, then we've got some things wrong. Okay, I really do believe that. So harder is not better when it comes to parenting. Being exhausted is not just part of the deal. It's something that we can work on that we can figure out, okay? And this leads me to the next one, which is that parents aren't sexy that moms in particular aren't sexy anymore. Their lives aren't interesting. Their conversation is boring. All they wanna talk about is diapers. They go to bed at 8 p.m. I am all of these things. I talk about diapers and I go to bed early and so on, but I reject this story that we should all be pointing our eyes at 25-year-olds, Right? that when you're a kid, you're waiting to be older, and you're waiting to be, you know, 18, 21, 25, and then you spend the rest of your life looking back over your shoulder, wishing you were still that age. This idea that aging, that growing older, that being a parent, that being a mom means you have to wear mom jeans, right? And means that you can never wear a bikini again, or that you're not sexy anymore, that your sex life can't get back to being in a passionate place, or that you aren't interesting, or that you can't go out, or go out on your own, or have fun. All of these things are stories. They're just stories. They're just myths. And they're they're completely irrelevant to you, to what turns you on. And I don't mean sexy in, in as sex. I don't mean it in that way. I mean, in the way of joy de vivre, right? I know my French accent is awful, but you get me, right? Joy of life, right? Love of living, passion, the idea of feeling alive, of coming alive, of, you know, if what turns you on is crocheting and that's what's fun for you, then I mean that. I don't mean disco parties. Oh my God, I aged myself there with the word disco. No one uses that word anymore. Avital, do not say that on your podcast. Okay, I did. It's done. Not going back and editing that out. Sorry. But you get my drift, right? Clubbing. Okay, that is probably a more of the moment word. I don't know because I don't go clubbing, okay? Let's just be honest. Let's just be real. I am definitely more the crocheting type. But doesn't matter. The point is that parenting, being a parent, doesn't define you as now not an interesting person, not an attractive person. Diapers can be one of the most fascinating things to talk about. Watch my videos if you don't believe me. I have videos about diapers. I think they're very interesting. <laughs> But hey, guys, can we just own it for a second? Can we just own that raising children is a massive part of our lives now, that our bodies have changed, that our interests have changed, that our body clock has changed, that our libido has changed, that it's okay that we want to go to bed early. That is beautiful and amazing in and of itself. And can we stop beating ourselves up because, oh, I'm not interesting and I don't go out to parties and I don't, you know, whatever it is. Please, please. Can we stop this story of we need to bounce back, that we need to stop the aging process, that we need to be our 25-year-old selves again, always looking back and wishing we were our younger our younger selves? Guys, this is a depressing way to continue the rest of our lives, which may be many more decades to come. No, I'm sorry, this has to stop. You know, it's very much the kind of Puritan, prudish, I think, American culture to see moms as non-sexual beings, as non-sexy beings as well. Like, I think if you go to places like Italy, in my experience, shout out to all my Italians, um, being a mother is sexy, like in the sense that you're this, you know, healthy, strong woman, and that's considered sexy. It's not mutually exclusive to be a vibrant and passionate being and to be a mother, in Italy, in my opinion, from what I've observed. But in America, it is. It's like the death of your personality, the death of anything interesting about you, the death of your life. Now, sacrifice yourself for the rest of your life because now all you are is a slave to those children. That's gotta stop. Okay, the next one, and related to this, is that raising children is boring, some people write to me and say they are bored with their kids. They are bored being at home all day with a baby. And to this, I say, amen, sister. I am so bored being at home all day with a baby. And guess what? That's why I'm not. I am not at home all day with my baby. In fact, since my first baby was born, I went out straight away. I went out, I put my baby in a carrier or in a stroller. Yes, I use a stroller. I'm not ashamed. And I went out and I met friends or I went to my job or I went on a hike or I listened to music and listened to podcasts and read books and meet people and do things and take on work and take on projects. No one said you have to stay home with a baby. No one said it's not written anywhere. And if it is, don't read that because... You do not have to be bored. Listen, to me, nothing could be more fascinating than human development. Nothing could be more fascinating than parenting. I name my business the Parenting Junkie. But it doesn't mean that just sitting and observing your children play needs to fascinate you. You deserve to have your own interests, your own passions, your own drive. Not you deserve to, you need to. Don't put all of that on your children. Don't make them your sole interest. Don't make them the only thing that you have in your life. You will be bored, I'm guessing, because as fascinating as your children are, they're still not going to hold your attention all of your life. And do you know why? Because we weren't evolved that way. We were evolved in clans, in groups. That's why they say it takes a village to raise a child, because you need other people around you. And I am sure that if you are Sitting with your baby all day by yourself, you are extremely bored. But if you were sitting with your baby all day with a few other mothers and babies, and maybe some uncles, aunts, grandparents, husbands, wives, blah, 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 you wouldn't be bored anymore because you would be in society. You would be in your clan. And so, yes, raising children is not boring, but it would be boring the way that we're doing it in our isolated little cubes of apartments by ourselves. That is not how it was designed to be. So please, get yourself out some friends, get yourself some interests, get yourself some places to go, some people to see. Please don't be bored. Okay, the next one is related to this for sure, which is that you should do it alone. You know, we say it takes a village, but how many of us are creating a village? How many of us believe it? How many of us really go out and create a village? Listen, I don't live near family at the moment. Hopefully I will. I would like to move back to live near my family. In Israel but at the moment I don't and so I have found my village and hired my village I've spoken about this you know I hire help at home to help me because it is impossible for me to do all the things that I do without help and I believe in help but also I found my village and it took me years when I moved to New Jersey and to New York I felt extremely isolated but I reached out on Facebook, I asked people for playdates, I joined mom groups, I went out, I asked other moms on dates, and we built relationships and friendships, and over the years, and eventually, I found my group, and I found my friends, and now I have what really does feel like a village. I have other moms that I could drop my kids with, that they drop their kids with me, you know, we ha- I have other moms that I go on vacation with. And when I say moms, I really mean families. But it was a very, very deliberate and consistent effort over a very long time, over four years, until I found this and created it. And so if you feel isolated and you have this story that you should do it alone, it's a myth, it's a lie. You weren't evolved to do it alone because you, my friend, are a primate. And if you read anything about primates, you will learn that like other apes and, and chimps and all sorts of animals like that, they live in groups. They raise their children in groups. They don't do it alone. You weren't supposed to do it alone either. So now we kind of screwed up and made this culture where we do do it alone. Now we need to fix that. The way we fix that is we go out, we find a clan, we build a clan, you build a group. You join groups, you you find them in your local anything, your local church, your local community center, your local schools, and you figure it out. You open your doors, you invite people in. You Even if it's scrappy or messy or small, you still do it because being alone for most of us is not an option. And it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need community. We all need help. I want to share a really beautiful story that happened recently in my present play community. After I shared a while back that I have household help, so many people wrote to me with incredible supportive emails just saying, thank you so much for sharing that and that's given me validation to get help or it's at least exposed to me how you do it so I don't feel like, oh, she does it all by herself and all of these things. And one person didn't. One person wrote to me that they felt deceived because now it feels like everything I ever said was wrong because I'm not doing it all alone. She said I was patronizing. She said I was self-centered. She said I was privileged, which apparently is a big insult, but it's just the truth. I am privileged, but we all have certain privileges and we can all ask for help. Whether or not you have the money to hire help, whether or not you can shift around your budget to make the money to hire help, or you can barter for help, I believe there is a lot of free help to be had. The question is, are you ready to say yes to it? Are you ready to ask for it? So Nicole, in my present play community, wrote that she felt overwhelmed by this idea that she should get help because she doesn't think she can afford it, which I totally get. I've been in that position in the past. It took me a long time to build myself up to hiring help. And just for the record, by the way, the vast majority of my videos were do- were taken before I had help, or at least before I had this level of help. I had maybe once in a while. But I've always been a big believer in getting as much help as you can. And so, and by the way, I don't I don't think it's just good for you. I think it's good for the person who helps you too. Either you're giving them a job and giving them money, which is great for them, or you are creating community with them. And they're feeling like they are contributing to you and being part of a group as well. You know, in in primate culture, the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents, that they're also contributing and they feel good with that. That's how humans are built. So anyway, Nicole, I'm trying to tell you the story of Nicole and I keep getting sidetracked. I'm sorry. Let's get back to Nicole. Nicole wrote, I don't feel like I can get help. I'm not privileged enough. I can't afford it. And we all brainstormed together with her. And one of the things we came up with was, are there any senior residents where you live? And could they potentially help you? And so she suddenly realized that she is living in this big apartment building (laughs) chock full of senior residents. And Nicole posted this beautiful advert this handwritten advert that she wrote and I'm gonna read it out to you right here because I think it is so inspiring and perfect and I think you should steal her advert and use it yourself if you're in a similar situation and I actually posted it on my Facebook page so if you want to see it it's this cute drawing that she drew and you can get inspiration from that but let me just read to you what she wrote volunteer grandparent needed this is Brendan age three and a half interests robots. Time commitment, two hours, once a week. When? Wednesday or Thursday morning, but we're flexible. Where? Brendan's house on the 12th floor. Brendan lives far away from his grandparents. He would love to spend quality time with someone other than his parents. Brendan's mom is home to help, crafts, games, block building, etc., and reading books. If interested, please email me. So she wrote this out and within a day, She had a volunteer grandparent signing up who wanted to come for free once a week to read Brendan books and play games with him. Isn't that amazing? So this is what happens when we get creative about creating community. You can do it, I can do it. It's just a question of, are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to go and find the community, find the help that you need? It's a myth that you should do it alone. And it's a myth that you can do it alone, frankly. We don't do anything alone. You're not preparing your food from scratch. Maybe you're preparing it from scratch, but you're not growing it from scratch all alone with no purchasing. You're not making your clothes from scratch. You're not making your furniture from scratch. You're not doing all of these things from scratch. And why should you? We are people. We all pull together. We pull our wisdom, our resources, our energy, and we help each other raise the next generation. That's what we're supposed to do. So if you want to be in that kind of community, you've got to create it. Don't do it alone. Okay, the next one is, the days are long, but the years are short. Listen. This isn't so much a myth as a little bit of an unpleasant or misguided approach, I think. You know, there are lots of ideas about time, about the time of raising our children, right? The time that they grow up so quickly and it slips away and hold them while they're young and it goes so fast and, you know... um, in a blink of an eye, they're going to be adults and it's all going to be over. And you're going to wish that they were babies in your arms again. Listen, I get it. Yes, I get it. And it's true. I see that already on my eldest. It feels like he's grown up so fast and I, you know, long for the days when he was a baby, but there's something a little bit unhealthy in my opinion about considering childhood, this Thing that you need to cling to, that you need to hold on to, almost like, don't grow up my baby. I want you to stay a baby, right? You know, it's fine. It's harmless to say that once in a while or to feel that once in a while. I certainly do. You know, when I see my baby growing up, I'm like, oh, he was so sweet when he was little and he's getting bigger and bigger and he might be my last and all of these ideas. But I think it's just worth considering the words that we use to describe time the words that we use to describe our children's childhood and the energy that we put into them growing up. Because sometimes I hear parents taking this too far, saying, I'm so sad that they're growing up. My friend recently told me, shout out to my friend if she's listening and she recognizes herself, but she recently told me that she was so sad that her child was graduating from kindergarten. And she said she cried at the graduation and she's just so sad and isn't it so sad? And she was saying it to me that way. And I'm like, well, wait, why is this sad? How beautiful. Your child is healthy and they're growing and they're doing what they need to do. And she just kept saying that. And she said that about many different milestones. She gets sad every time there's a birthday. She gets sad every time her child, you know, is losing a tooth or growing in some way. I think we just need to address this sad energy of our children growing up. Oh, they're going to grow up and they're going to fly the nest. Yeah. Bring it on, sister. That's what we're here for. We're here to release them from our clutches, not to clutch onto them further and tighter and deeper. Our children are amazing, lovely, snuggly little people who we enjoy having around, but they are not ours. They don't belong to us. And the whole point of their lives is for them to be the autonomous beings that they are, to fly the coop and to to live, to live their lives not to be ours, not to be on our laps and in our arms forever. And sometimes I feel like this holding on, this feeling of, oh, they grow up so fast, the years are so short, hold them so tight. Sometimes that breeds into this kind of sad or tragic approach to children growing up and doing exactly what they need to do. I don't think children should grow up with this idea and this message that that mommy doesn't want them to grow up, that mommy wants them to stay small and to stay hers because that's how she likes them. I think it's more empowering to feel that whatever age I am, whatever stage I'm at is exactly where I need to be. And mommy is perfectly okay with me being me and me doing what I'm doing. And when I grow and when I take the next step and whatever that might be, if it's going to college or if it's losing my tooth, then that's where I'm supposed to be. I think this holding on and holding back on time is the same as us adults saying, oh, I wish I was 18 again. And oh, my body doesn't bounce back. And oh, I have a line on my forehead and a gray hair. That's, again, fighting with time, fighting with reality. It's very wasted energy, in my opinion. It's putting energy into being sad about the very nature of life itself. Just how... Life goes through those cycles, and every step of the cycle is beautiful, including death. And finally, this is my favorite point, y'alls, so thank you for sticking with me this long. But my final point is that parenting is a job. The idea that we are doing a good job, that it is a job. You know, a lot of people sometimes say to me, oh, my my job is parenting, but I'm not paid for it. And I want to say something about that. No, it's not a job. Okay, I've probably said this too, and I might say it again. I fall prey to all of these myths. That's how I know about them. But it's not a job, okay? A job is something that we can outsource. A job is something that we can give to someone else, okay? Anything that you can give to someone else is a job. Parenting is a relationship. Parenting, like being a wife or a husband, a friend, a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, is a relationship you cannot outsource it, okay? You don't outsource being a wife. You might outsource all of the traditional jobs associated with being a wife, okay? You could outsource homekeeping, right? Housekeeping, cleaning, cooking, I don't know, ironing, because 1950s housewives, that's what they needed to do. But we realize now that those are jobs and you can either do them yourself or you can outsource them. You can't outsource being a wife because that's a relationship. With parenting, the same is true. I mean, you can get a babysitter, you can outsource education, you can outsource a lot of different caregiving activities, but you cannot outsource the job of parenting because the job, the real job, the real definition of being a parent is the relationship you have with your child. And that's why you don't have to be the one to cook the meals. You don't have to be the one to do anything. But if you want to be a quote unquote good parent, whatever that means, then you need to work on the quality of the relationship with your child. I do believe that. I don't believe our children grow up any children grow up thinking back to mom and dad and thinking, oh, but she didn't, you know, she wasn't the one who, whatever it was, you know, did the house cleaning or cooked the meals. I know a lot of people care that their moms cook the meals because that's a love language for a lot of people. But the point is that that's not ever going to be the main issue, right? The main issue is what was she someone who I had a good relationship with? Was she there for me? Did she love me? Did she listen? Did she care? Did she show me love? All of those things are what I'm gonna care about. And so you don't have to do any of the jobs that are associated with parenting in order to be a good parenting parent. And that's why it is not a job that you are paid for. It is not a job that you are paid for because being a parent is not a job. Being a parent is a relationship. So I hope that all of this helps to clarify, helps to bust some of those myths, helps to get a broader perspective and you can break down those misguided assumptions and these beliefs, these lies, lies, I tell you, and help you to realize that you are doing an awesome job. You really are. I use the word job because I'm not sure what else to say, but you are an awesome relationship person. <laughs> no, you're doing an awesome job as a parent, just the way you are. Don't do it alone. Don't find yourself boring or unsexy. Don't think that harder is better. Don't think that there's one right way. Don't think that you are so in control and that you are so responsible for everything. Don't think that you have to hold on to time because it's going by too fast. Simply relax into this. Enjoy the relationship. That's really the bottom line here is enjoy the relationship. Make it a good relationship. And a good relationship typically feels good. So that's how you know. Now, I want to let you know that next week, we're going to talk about resiliency. We're going to talk about anti-fragility. We're going to talk about the idea that we don't want to put stress on our children, but we do want our children to be able to handle stress. How do we do that? We'll find out next week.